He's going to win the Royal Rumble. Yeah, the British Bulldog. I've got a history in Royal Rumbles, and tonight I'm going to remake history by winning this night's Royal Rumble tonight because I'm bizarre. Let me tell you something. Let me tell you something. Let me tell you something. Well, let me tell you something. Well, let me tell you something. 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 Let me tell you something, man. Greetings Grapple fans, it's time once again for two different generations of professional wrestling fans to talk about professional wrestling on a podcast devoted to professional wrestling. Yes, it's the professional wrestling podcast called Let Me Tell You Something. I'm your co-host Lorcan Mullen and with me as always is the Mosh to my Thrasher, the Connor to my Victor, the Rye to my Baxel, Mr. Simon Cross. Simon, how you doing mate? I'm doing pretty good, Logan. Doing pretty good. Um, ready to see in. Uh, well, we've we've just seen in the new year, and uh, I don't know about you, but I, I feel we should mark the new year with a, a certain kind of event. I, I feel we should get 28 of our friends and um, no, son, ask them to the enter the room. Last time we did that, there was all kinds of ground rules that were being made, and just you know, it just gradually got quite unhygienic as the night went on. But what we could do is have a Royal Rumble match. Right, that works too. <laughs> That's right, ladies and gentlemen. Since, as of the time of recording, it's quite recently into the new year. January, whilst it might be the start of New Year's resolutions and everyone, for everyone else, for us, it's kind of the... With this and Wrestle Kingdom, with the Royal Rumble and Wrestle Kingdom, January is very, very... Maybe the most exciting, or at the very least, the second or third most exciting month of the year in the world of wrestling, the other ones being, of course, when WrestleMania's on, and now for a lot of people, like myself, August time, when it's the G1 Climax. And I think the Royal Rumble match, which is what we're going to be talking about, not the Royal Rumble event, not this year's Royal Rumble, because hopefully whilst we're recording this in the year of 2018, that what we talk about will be really as applicable in the years 2019, 20, 30, 35, 40, <laughs> you know, and beyond, when we are long in our own graves, People will still be having Royal Rumble matches and Chris Jericho will still be trying to improve his in-ring record time. (laughs) (laughs) And Curtis Axel will still not have been eliminated from the Royal Rumble. They say longest running. He'd be on like four decades. And don't bother writing in. I know that he got eliminated at the next Royal Rumble. It was a joke. But that's what we're talking about, Simon. The Royal Rumble match that had its first incarnation at a house show in late 1987. A brainchild of Pat Patterson, one of the finest minds in wrestling history. Um, Where else that mind wandered, we don't want to talk about. But then a few months later, in January of 1988, a 20-man version of it was used on a big TV USA network, I think it was, special... Um, mm. that was won by one Hacksaw Jim Duggan. And then the very next year, it became the fourth of the big four pay-per-view events that go through to this day. 
WrestleMania debuted in 85, was a pay-per-view in 86, Survivor Series in 87, SummerSlam in 88, and then in 1989, January of 1989, the Royal Rumble completed the set. And that one was won by Hack, uh, Big John Studd. And from then on, it was off to the races. And every single January since then, there have been 30 men, usually, sometimes 29 and a, and a woman or what have you, battling it out, one after the other, entering the ring, and then finally the winner is crowned. It's a bit interesting when you think about the first two winners of the Royal Rumble. Um, do you reckon many wrestling fans, let's say under the ages of like 15 or so, if, if, the, if they were asked, gun to their head, would be able to list those two as the first ever two Royal Rumble winners? I think they might get Hacksaw Jim Duggan because it's just one of those common... <laughs> because he's ridden that meal ticket for yeah, a Yeah, yeah, that's his worth. equivalent of the Honky Tonk Man with the Intercontinental Championship or, or something like that. Um, yeah, I think the Big John Stud. I can imagine most wrestling fans under 20 years old, probably older than that, wouldn't even know who he is. Uh, it was, but this is what's interesting about the point that you're making. Uh, the Battle Royal is a, a long-standing tradition within the WWE and within wrestling itself. It was often a, a very popular attraction in all the territories. It'd be like a big annual event would often be like a $10,000 Battle Royal. Uh, they make fun of it in the Southpaw Wrestling one. I think they were saying, the big 12-man battle royal or something <laughs> like that. Uh, very often that was won by Andre the Giant when he was travelling around from territory to territory. And it was always just a very fun attraction. A lot of British wrestling shows would either begin or end with a battle royal with all the people that had taken part in it beforehand. Uh, homaged lovingly by the WWE when they held the Royal Albert Hall show in 1991, which was sort of a precursor to SummerSlam 92. So the battle royal itself is a common uh, thread throughout wrestling's history for a long, long time. I'm sure Jim Cornette could give you all the backstory of it all debuting in, I don't know, 1968 in Sacramento, California, or something like that, you know. Uh, yeah. But what is always interesting about the Battle Royal, and this went through to the first two versions of the Royal Rumble, was that the winner was never really a great guarantee because the match was in and of itself the only thing that was important. Hulk Hogan in the 1980s, would take part in a number of battle royals on things like Saturday night's main event and what have you. And he, more often than not, would get eliminated somewhere around the halfway point of the match, and it would end up being won by someone like Hercules Hernandez. Or I remember one that was won by Mr. Perfect with Greg the Hammer Valentine as the last person in. Because the idea of the battle royal is it was a little bit... And it still is to this day of the Royal Rumble. If you get eliminated in a battle royal, it's not as... I don't want to say embarrassing or, or what have you, but it's not as significant as being pinned. It, or submitted. It allows, yeah, it allows for flukes. And if they'd never come up with the notion, say the Royal Rumble happened in September or something like that, and so yeah. it wasn't intrinsically linked to WrestleMania, maybe there's a decent chance that a lot more of the winners of the Royal Rumbles would have been your big John Studs and your Hacksaw Jim Duggans rather than what it has been ever since then, which is... Pretty much everyone that's won the Royal Rumble from 1990 onwards has been one of the three or four biggest acts in the promotion at any one time. From Hulk Hogan winning it in 1990 all the way onwards since then. Mm. Do you think that's because of its like sort of um, funfair style nature? It's a very carny-esque match when you think about mm. it. it. It's sort of... The fun is the match. The match is the fun, and the yeah. fun is the match. It, it, it's sort of one begats the other. It's, it's not really something that's meant to... like. Pl- 
canon um per se i mean like you know especially in the early days when it certainly be just for like a cash prize rather than like um be woven into any major storyline of like a territory or anything like that yeah exactly i mean one of the criticisms that people will have about the royal rumble match in some years uh what good example of that would be the one in 2000 the one before that in 1999 is that the winner is either a foregone conclusion or one of maybe two potential candidates because it is so linked to wrestlemania and you know you know you know that stone cold steve austin if he's healthy has to be in the wrestlemania main event or the mm. rock has to be in it or john cena has to be in it or or roman reigns has to be in it mm. so a lot of the rest of the rumble that they're not involved can be kind of a where's poochie situation where <laughs> you know it's just it's just treading water it's just you know it's 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 there to just pass time until the important things happen. Although, um, unlike West Poochie, eventually you'll get to the fireworks factory. Yes, they will get to the fireworks factory eventually when they point to the WrestleMania sign. Um, what I would say, though, is that um, the brand split in 2002 was one of the best things to happen to the Royal Rumble match as far as who the winner was concerned because it introduced that idea of winner's pick and that there were two brands and it was no longer that the winner of the rumble had to be the main event of wrestlemania so very often it would be someone like alberto del rio winning it and he does challenge for the world heavyweight championship but that's actually the opening match of wrestlemania rather than the main events so when the two brands actually re-merged in uh, 2010 or so i think it was the excitement of the variables of the Royal Rumble started to go away and John Cena won it again, Batista won it again, Roman Reigns was involved in the last two or three for three or four Rumbles in a row. And so it, it went back to the, the, the bad old days, I suppose, of 1999 where it was either going to be Austin or Vince McMahon or 2000 when it was either going to be The Rock or The Big Show. And and 98 when it was only going to be Stone Cold Steve Austin, really. Um, so that again, the the problem that you can have with the Royal Rumble is it's a long match, and if you kind of know where we're going to be right at the end, it can be it can at times be a slog to go through if they don't bother with some uh, ingenuity and some really fun booking ideas in the middle of the match. Yeah, no, it can't definitely be just a straight up a straight laced up match. One matches that last an hour either have to be incredible. Or have to have many layers, and about a royal in itself is just one simplistic layer. You know, just eliminating your opponent. Um, you, you've got to use the mechanics of the situation to sort of build on it. it, it it's the framework around which you hang the house, basically. If we, you know, uh, torture that metaphor, if you see what I mean. We will mix the... metaphors until the cows come home. To oh, roost. we can all mix, mix metaphors until <laughs> the cows come home to roost. Indeed. No, but. Um, it, it's the it's a framing device, mm. um, the Royal Rumble. Well, if you and look it's up... sorry, go on. it's a bit like the Avengers movie. Yes, um, it is, yeah. You know, you've got all your individual uh, storylines, your four uh, universe, your Hulk universe, your Iron Man universe, and the Avengers movie is pretty much where they meet. And Royal Rumble is where several different storylines converge upon each other um, and are sort of incubated within the ring in this sort of like hour time slot. Well, that's what's so fascinating. It can go through, very often it will go through stages. So it'll have maybe the first few. Uh, a good example would be the 2001 Royal Rumble, which starts off with the Hardy Boys and uh, Right to Censor uh, and Jeff and Matt actually facing off with each other. Then Drew Carey comes in 
and then Kane arrives and suddenly you get some comedy spots and very soon after that the ring starts to get loading up with, with the people who were sort of taking part in the hardcore division a lot of that time Raven uh, Al Snow Steve Blackman Crash Holly and then it becomes like a hardcore weapons section finally Kane ditches all of them I think he does that's when he does another comedy spot with the honky tonk man then the rock comes out and then it's all about the heavy hitters coming into play and then you have Stone Cold Steve then when the Undertaker arrives it's a different dynamic then you've got Kane and the Undertaker working together then Stone Cold Steve Austin comes out but he gets waylaid by Triple H so like you say uh, these confluence of different storylines one will take over the main narrative for a few minutes and then it will go and then either one of the wrestlers will be eliminated or both of them will be eliminated so the focus is always shifting when they're doing it in a more lazy sense all that happens when a new guy comes in is very often just they come into the ring they hit three or four people around the place with their signature moves because they're a house of fire you know whether it's our truth or uh, you know um, Yoshi Tatsu or whoever they'll get to hit a few Kofi Kingston Kofi King well Kofi Kingston's there to do the uh, innovative uh, is- elimination escape Although, but he throws around trouble in paradise quite quickly yeah, yeah. and they and, and what is fun is that very often people that they don't get to wrestle them and if they do get to wrestle them they usually look really bad Triple H or John Cena will take a couple of bumps off of a Kofi Kingston or a Yoshi Tatsu or what have you for at least a while. That's why I loved, I remember when I watched the 1989 Royal Rumble, I loved so much was these different these different acts that you never saw together intermingling and, and fighting and also heels fighting heels, faces fighting faces, you know, seeing the Honky Tonk Man and Mr. Perfect fighting each other, seeing Bushwhacker Luke and Coco Beware double teaming Hulk Hogan. It's a it's a fantastic sight. And of course, 1989 Royal Rumble, which is one of the best books Royal Rumbles of all time, I think. Opening with Axe and Smash, then the tag team champions fighting each other, really emphasizing the every man for himself aspect. Then Andre the Giant comes in at number three, and then the entire story of the match becomes everyone who gets in trying desperately to work together to try and eliminate Andre the Giants. See, I like the way you like um the, the sort of the glee in your voice when you talk about the 1989 Royal Rumble and the fact that heels were fighting heels. It shows um a baby faces fighting baby faces. It shows how unique that was at that time and how as a result the Rumble became a, a unique spectacle. I think we've lost some of the sheen of that over the course of the years as it's been repeated and what have you, but well maybe it's because everyone intermingles so much now anyway, more so than they used to. You, you never saw you never saw Hulk Hogan interact with the Bushwhackers, but you would maybe see Roman Reigns taking out Curtis Axel a couple of times in the year. You know, the, 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 everyone has to cycle through everyone else quite a lot more frequently. Whereas when you were a kid watching the the WWF back in the early eight, in the late eighties, early nineties, you'd see them do squash matches, and it would only be at like the Royal Rumble or Survivor Series where you'd see a lot of them interact, or if you were lucky to, to see them at a live show, which was what, in those days, was the key thing. It was setting these people up as special attractions, and to see the good stuff, you had to go and see it live. To see the Bushwhackers fighting the fabulous Rougeau brothers, you had to go and watch it live, instead of seeing the two squash matches. And But, but even then, that was a more common sight than the Bushwhackers then fighting mm. Roddy Piper or Rick Rude or, or whoever, you know, the singles and the tags rarely intermingled and, you know, the comedy acts and the main event acts rarely intermingled. 
And as well as that, as well as obviously now you've got more interaction between the different tiers of wrestler in the WWE, you've also got the fact that baby faces face baby faces a hell of a lot more than they did back in the late 80s. Yeah, absolutely. It's, yeah. um, it, well, whether it's cheapened as a plot device or not is up for debate, or whether it's just the natural evolution of the business. But the fact remains is it, it's, it's no longer something that's special within the Royal Rumble when you see like Seth Rollins uh, face off against like AJ Styles or you know anything like that but you know let's not be too harsh to it when when the Royal Rumble is done well and it can still be done there are good years in in this decade that we're speaking in right now there have been great Royal Rumbles the 2010 Royal Rumble was great I personally have a lot of um, love for the 2011 40 man Royal Rumbles doesn't not everyone does but I really enjoy the narrative of it the first half being dominated by CM Punk and the new Nexus and then the second half when John Cena is able to dispose of all of them then being a different story um, you know you can meander there, but there are always the classics that you always go back to the 1992 Royal Rumble with Ric Flair the, you know, until the unfortunate events afterwards, the 2004 Royal Rumble with Chris Benoit, uh, the 2001 Royal Rumbles are one of the all-time greats in my opinion, uh, with the long cane performance running throughout it and just loads of great little spots in there as well. Um, but what's also interesting about the Rumble is that it is a great snapshot of where the WWE is with each passing year. Like, if you were to look at the... Uh, it's one I always bring up, but if you were to look at the lineup for the 30 people that were in the 1992 Royal Rumble, and then compare it to just a year later, the people that are in the 93 Royal Rumble, it's okay. quite a shocking sight. 92 Royal Rumble was kind of the end of an era insofar as all the territory stars that the WWE had gradually accumulated over the years, all being in one place that were all pretty much all in their physical prime um, or, or have been in their physical prime throughout the 80s. And it was an then, apex year. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And of, and of course, the you know, the Ric Flair run through. And the fact that it was for the WWE Championship, so it was therefore uh, a lot more uh, prestigious than they usually are. Um, and this was also before the, the regular um, WrestleMania deal, which was introduced the next year. So this was the first time that the Royal Rumble really meant something outside of the match itself. But if you look at the Royal... So I'm just going to run down the entrance in the Royal Rumble 1992. And then just quickly reel off and just count. Just keep a count, Simon, of how many are Hall of Famers. And then also keep a side count of how many future Hall of Famers there are. Do you have a piece of paper and a pen with you? I'm armed and ready. So here we go. British Bulldog. It's soon to be Hall of Famer. Yes, that's one. Ted DiBiase, Hall of Famer. Two. Ric Flair, Hall of Famer. Yeah. Twice Jerry... Hall of Famer. Does that, do, I, do I give him no, two? No, no. We'll just leave it as the one. Um, okay. Jerry Sags, great tag team, but probably won't be in the Hall of Fame. Haku, might be in the I Hall of Fame. I think the Nasty Boys but... are, aren't they? No, no. They're not in the Hall of Fame, no. It's a while till they'll go in. It'll be a dry <laughs> year if that happens, so I wouldn't include him. Haku, maybe mm. he'll be in the Hall of Fame. I wouldn't chalk him up for certain. Shawn Michaels, Hall of Famer. Tito Santana, Hall of Famer. The Barbarian. That's five are on now. Barbarian could have been a Hall of Famer, but probably not. Texas Tornado, Hall of Famer. Repo Six. Man, whilst the Repo Man gimmick might not be a smash from demolition, he's still one of the you know the greats of that era. So I would put him in the maybe pile. Mm, uh, I think you're forcing that one a little. <laughs> eh. Greg Valentine, Hall of Famer. Nikolai Volkov, okay. Hall of Famer. Big yep. Boss Man, Hall of Famer. Hercules, That's nine. not so much. Roddy Piper, Hall of Famer. Jake the Ten. Snake Roberts, Hall of Famer. 11. Jim Duggan, Hall of Famer. 12. 
IRS, maybe a future Hall of Famer. Not yet, but he might be in the future. Jimmy Snooker, Hall of Famer. The Undertaker, future Hall of Famer, obviously. Yeah. Randy That's 14. Randy Savage, Hall of Famer. 15. The Berserker, no, probably not. Nah. Uh, Virgil Van Dyke, no, probably not. <laughs> Colonel, he won't be a Hall of Famer. Colonel and Must- Virgil would like to be a Hall of Famer, but no dice. Colonel Mustafa, a.k.a. the Iron Sheik Hall of Famer. Rick Martel, probably a future Hall of Famer. Hulk Hogan. Do we, oh, did he go in as the Iron Sheik, though? Yeah, Do I went, count Colonel yeah, Mustafa? People knew it as, yeah, people knew who he was. They just renamed him. I'm just trying to like, nip at your point. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Nip away, nip away. Um, so Rick Martel, future Hall of Famer, probably. Hulk Hogan. Hall of Famer. Skinner, not a Hall of Famer. Sergeant Slaughter, Hall of Famer. Sid, probably will be a future Hall of Famer, as long as there's not a softball game on during the induction ceremony. And finally, Mm. the Warlord. Probably not a Hall of Famer. But how many bona fide Hall of Famers are there there, Simon? Uh, Obviously, we included future future locks in that, but that out of 30 participants actually gives you a return rate of 66.6% with 20. 20. Okay, so let's have a look at the 93 Royal Rumble. Give me two secs. All right, the pen. Well, I would say it's refilled, but it's Byro. Yeah, let's go. Ric Flair, Hall of Famer. One. Bob Backlund, Hall of Famer. Two. Papa Shango, Hall of Famer, but as the godfather. We'll count it. We'll count it, but he wasn't really a big star at that point. If you're having Colonel Mustafa, yeah. Well, no, Colonel Mustafa was a star. Papa Shango was yet to become a star. That's my point. Ted DiBiase, Hall of Famer. Brian Nobbs, no. Virgil, no. Jerry Lawler, Hall of Famer. Max Moon, no. No. Jinichiro Tenru, whilst he's a legend in Japan in the US, he doesn't mean anything, so no. Mr. Perfect, Hall of Famer. Six. Skinner, no. Coco Beware, yes, he is a Hall of Famer, but he's the one that, if he's in the Hall of Fame, X should be in the Hall of Fame. But we'll include him, we'll include him. Samu, no. The Berserker, no. The Undertaker, future Hall of Famer. Terry Taylor, Eight. no. Damien Demento, no. IRS, maybe future Hall of Famer. Tatanka, no. Jerry Sags, no. Typhoon, no. Fatu, Hall of Famer. Is Typhoon not in his earthquake? No, Earthquake is in his earthquake, and he's the next one. Ah. Uh-huh. <laughs> earthquake. I don't know if he's in the Hall of Fame, but I imagine he will be in the future, so probable we'll take future it. Hall of Famer. That takes you to ten. Carlos Colon, Hall of Famer. Yep. Tito Santana, Hall of Famer. That's twelve. Rick Martel, maybe a future Hall of Famer. Yoko Zuma, yes. Hall of Famer. Owen Hart, not yet, but future Hall of Famer. Repo Man, not really. Randy Savage, Hall of Famer. But even even if we say that there are 16 Hall of Famers in that record, they are the likes of Coco Beware and, you know, Carlos Colon. And Rick Martel. Well, Rick Martel isn't even in yet, so he's just a potential future one. But he'd be years away. But I'm just saying, look who's not in there anymore. Davey Boy Smith. Uh, Greg the Hammer Valentine, Sid, Hulk Hogan, Roddy Piper. Uh, this was also the last year, last 
pay-per-view performance by Ric Flair in the WWF until nine years down the line. So that was that's what can be interesting. When you look at the Rumble, then by the time you reach 94 and then by the time you reach 95, it's just a shit show. You've got the Heavenly Bodies, well done. The Blue Brothers. Um, I think Damien Demento again. Mabel and Moe of Men on a Mission. The Bushwhackers, yeah. they're back. So it can be a really good snapshot of a depleted roster. I mean, by 1996-97, they were having to bring in guest performers because they didn't have a deep enough roster to fill a card, a three-hour card, with a Royal Rumble match in there. Yes. I mean, obviously, that they had the um, handicap of the extra competition from WCW. So, you know, uh, the pool was split somewhat. Mm. Um, speaking of WCW, I just... Uh, sort of want to semi-segue in this obviously now um the Royal rumble obviously you know one of the cornerstones of wwe creation but it's not without its imitators um wcw tried the free ring mm-hmm. uh 60-man battle royal although technically they all started at the same time so not quite the same No, but it was their novelty battle royal yeah and obviously tna i think they had a reverse battle royal yeah, once where also, they started they... outside the ring and, and the staggered entrance format has been repeated in tna with things like gauntlet for the gold and what mm. have you and new japan now do it as like a pre-show presentation that's not actually part of the official show uh, with lots of comedy spots and just anyone that couldn't get into the main card at the very <laughs> least getting a payday out of it and you know giving the fans... isn't that their version of andre the giant battle royal yeah though? yeah pretty much yeah exactly like that um so that's what i said the, the royal rumble can be a very interesting snapshot but it can also be an indicator of who they've got their focus on obviously going into the royal rumble but very often going on into the rest of the year very famously in 1994 and I remember watching this and being blown away by it because you'd never seen it in a Royal Rumble before. There was what eventually became to be coined online, at least, as someone getting the Diesel push because Kevin Nash Diesel came in, and at that point he was a, you know, he was a, he was Shawn Michaels's heater, as uh, Charlotte Flair would put it. His, uh, a, you know, accompaniment. He was the bodyguard. He was there to interfere and allow Shawn Michaels to get away with through dastardly chicanery. He wasn't really seen as much of an act in and of himself. Only two months earlier, he'd been the first person to be eliminated in his Survivor Series match with uh, Adam Bomb, Rick Martel, and IRS as his partner. But suddenly, in the Royal Rumble, he comes in about 6th or 7th, and he clears the ring out. Only one left in the ring. Then number 8 comes out, he eliminates them, and just stands there waiting. Number 9 comes in, he eliminates him. And you'd ne- I'd never seen anything quite like that before. Ted DiBiase had had something quite similar at the start, and, and Ric Flair had cleared the ring at one point in the 92 Royal Rumble. But this was just a very clear, this man right now is unstoppable, and it looks mm. like he's making a statement for the future. And when he did get eliminated in that match, it was after about six or seven people teamed up to eliminate him. And the only person who was able to stop his rampage of going one after the other after the other was Randy Savage. And then, as the years went on, someone getting that diesel push within the Rumble itself, it's like a statement of intent, this person's going to be important. Very often it would be that they are just the only one left in the ring and they eliminate one after the other after the other, like Stone Cold Steve Austin did in 1997, like Rikishi did in 2000. Or they just accumulate eliminations throughout the match, like Roman Reigns in that one Royal Rumble where he eliminated 12 people. And this was still when he was just one third of the shield, as it were, but it was a clear, this guy is the future of this promotion. It was really one of the first 
explicit statements of that. Mm. So the Royal Rumble can very often be that statement of intent. When Rusev made his debut, it was on the Royal Rumble, and he was very impressive before getting eliminated by several people. And then Four. Making, yeah, there we go. And then making his re-debut after the WrestleMania. But it was like a statement there. Very often now, you're seeing a lot of NXT performers making their debut via the Royal Rumble. Uh, Bo Dallas did that one year. Uh, Sami Zayn really re- returned to the main roster after his one-night match against John Cena. Completely uninjured and went straight after Kevin Owens. And, and Ty Dillinger. Ty as Dillinger well. as well, yeah, absolutely. So, it's a great... It's it's that's the thing. If the body of the match can have things that are important outside of the finish itself, that's when a Royal Rumble gets good. When there are interesting stories interwoven throughout the course of the match, that's what's important. Because it's not like you say the old battle royals. The spectacle was there's twenty, thirty, forty, twelve people in the ring at the same time. You know, it's but the Royal Rumble is actually not about that. To be honest, when the Royal Rumble does start to get loads of bodies in there, it's usually a sign that not much is actually happening. Because if an elimination isn't happening, you know, because also the problem with Battle Royals is that when the ring starts getting filled up, you can't do a lot of snazzy, interesting moves because you never know one errant bump and you've caught someone's ankle in the corner and there's unnecessary injuries being involved. So very often, yeah, you know, the, the annoyance that everyone always goes on about is when they're just in the corner, someone props someone up against the corner and pretends to try to push them out of the ring and they're trying to keep themselves up. Whereas, you know, that never works. Every, but but if you grab someone lightly by their head and run them towards the ropes, somehow that's what propels someone out of the ring. Do you think that's the very reason Pat Patterson coins the Royal Rumble? Is he's like, I like what we've got here with the Battle Royal, but it's just too bitty at the start it's just too clunky as an idea so it, it was sort of his like th- this will be great if we streamlined it i think he liked the idea of the ongoing narrative and that there being a new variant to a match every two minutes because i have a mate that does not like wrestling well he likes everything about wrestling except for the wrestling he likes the he likes the stages, he likes the costumes, he likes the music, he likes the presentation, he likes the interviews, he likes the entrances. He likes everything except for when they actually get down and have a wrestling match. Then he just Is your mate Kevin Dunn? Yes, I've you know, we we, we uh trade dentists. Um and he he is um he, and so the Royal Rumble is one of the few things that he can, can actually hold on to his attention because there is that new variable every one to two minutes. And if they do it well, then the idea is... like What's really great is when someone makes an entrance and you know, as JR would say, business is about to pick up. When And this is also, I think, really tied into when they introduced the, the entrance music to the wrestler's entrance from the 96 Royal Rumble onwards. That really helped get the audience, I think, to, to react to things as it was going on. Because it became a lot more about the overall presentation. And really, in the old Royal Rumbles, the entrance was just get in the ring as quickly as possible, no entrance music. Whereas now it became part of the great presentation and everyone's attention turned to the entrance ramp. It wasn't just the, the picture-in-picture frame on the bottom left-hand corner where you just see who's going to come in that was what was more important than just people in the corners pushing each other outside it was the entrance it was the music it was it was the commentators then wondering what difference braun Strowman entering what difference uh the undertaker entering what difference kane coming into the rumble 
will make to this match now. Well, the, the great example that I always love is when uh, John Cena's wrestling Shawn Michaels, I think, in the Rumble in 2010, and he's trying to eliminate him, and there's just a rest, and the muse, and the and the, the number counts down, and then you just you hear, well, it's the big show, and John Cena just his face is like, oh, for fuck's sake. <laughs> so, I, you know, I, I I love that part of it, that that ongoing narrative. Mm, I think twists and turns in the story. I think that is one of the things that does um, attract, obviously, sort of uh, less hardcore fans to watch the Rumble, like, you know, your, 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 your casuals, as they are termed on the internet. As well as that, though, what the num- Rumble also serves as a um, as a great device for, and I've seen this at least twice firsthand, is um, to recapture lapsed fans, because it's a great way of sort of catching up on the product. If you don't follow... Um, wrestling on like if you don't follow the narratives of wrestling sometimes you can get lost and mm. then you lose your enthusiasm to become back involved with the flow whereas the rumble it's sort of like um the start of a the second part of a two-parter in any like big mm. american series like you know game of thrones or uh, breaking bad or the wire yeah. where you know you just have like your clips of oh this person was gunned to that gunned down this drug deal went wrong yeah. um you know, this prostitute got smacked about. Their, their entrance to the match is the commentators are doing the equivalent of previously on WWE wrestling. Exactly. Yeah, that that is the Royal Rumble is previously on. So, like when Sami Zayn his music hits, you see Kevin Owens in the ring, like what the, f-? and so then they can say. Kevin Owens was the guy that took Sami Zayn out. And so then the focus of the next few minutes is Sami Zayn and Kevin mm. Owens doing their hockey fight punches and, and so on. And the beautiful thing about that is, obviously, the people who follow the storyline will get it. And their reaction then prompts the question of maybe the Laps fan who's sat next to his friends watching the wrestling going, oh, why is he, why is Sammy gunning for Kevin? And it goes, and they fill in the blanks, basically, for for the uh, Laps fan. And the Laps fan's brought up to speed, effectively. Mm. And that's also the job of the commentators as well. I, you know, I've never had a lapsed period in wrestling where I, where I'm not aware of what's going on. But if you were to say... You know, and, and it's also WrestleMania season. It's the start of the road to WrestleMania. So this is really the three most important months and usually the best period of, of quality storytelling that the WWE can muster. They actually pull their finger out and actually try and do something interesting. And very often the Rumble is the, what kickstarts that. That you can have a number of different feuds either paid off at the Rumble so they can then be set up for the rest of the, the build-up to WrestleMania or you instigate them at the Royal Rumble. Um, but yeah, like I said, it's just great when when you get that moment where where Randy Savage comes out in 1992 and Jake the Snake Roberts immediately leaves the ring because he knows what's about to happen. Yeah, you know? a um a great example of the Royal Rumble setting up a storyline. It would be um the Shawn when Shawn Michaels got eliminated when he was gunning uh, to win the Rumble so he could face the Undertaker again at WrestleMania, and. Uh, when he got eliminated you could just see the devastation on his face and it led to like it was just like the, the sparking point for a really good like um well yeah storyline the, the next month of him costing the undertaker his match which would give his other hated enemy chris jericho the title that's how desperate he was that he did a favor for the man that he hated maybe more than anyone else in the promotion and that's mm. that's a great. That's because, like you say, the Royal Rumble. You, you know, he's still kind of yeah. That's all right. I've got my chance. I've got my opportunity. But in the Royal Rumble after that, it's like, was that it? Was that my chance? Was that the only opportunity I had? And, and it's gone. Mm. And I don't know how to Wait. comprehend it. 
which adds legitimately, which adds legitimacy not only to um, his storyline but to the Royal Rumble itself. This this opportunity means everything to him because it gives him the chance to define his existence. Effectively, it was an all or nothing thing for sure. Mm. Yeah. So, I mean, what do you? So, what 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 are some of your favorite? What's something you look out for in the Royal Rumble? What's something you like? And what's something you dislike? What's something that says to you this is going to be a good Royal Rumble, and what's something that says to you this is going to be a bad Royal Rumble? It's a double-edged sword. Um, in recent years, I'd say I like the surprises they give us, uh, whether it be uh, the return of a legend uh, like Bubba Ray Dudley coming in at number three. That what um, quite recently. I just want to say one um, thing that did bother me about that though was that they didn't bring back Devon Dudley. But our truth was in the ring, and it was like Bubba was saying, "You're black, you'll do." And so, truth <laughs> did all the spots that Devon Dudley usually did. Yeah, that's that's a bit uncomfortable. Um, obviously, the most recent classic example. It doesn't have to always be a returning legend, AJ Styles. The roof blew off the place, yeah. and um, he used that as this well. The springboard to get his feet in the door, basically. Springboard. But the only thing that bothered me about that, though, and I said this at the time, I think, when I did my definitive 2016 moments, was when he did that entrance, the camera was focused on Roman Reigns' reaction. <laughs> you didn't yeah, see the I... Titan Tron. You didn't see I Am Phenomenal appear on the screen. You just saw Roman Reigns looking befuddled and then the crowd losing their minds. Not even naturally looking befuddled, like a force befuddled yeah, as well. It was like he didn't know AJ Styles was coming out. True, you know? true. Says, yeah, that's, having I, a, that's, having a, that's like having a go at Daniel Day Lewis for acting. You know, true, it's not. True. It's not really. Although I'm not saying Roman Reigns is the Daniel Day Lewis of Roman. <laughs> I like how you quickly put that um, <laughs> caveat in. Um, if they could reshoot that, they would. Let's face it. They they know well, that. They, we I know, know they that. did. I know they did a YouTube video of it, like from a different perspective or something like that. But it was just a. That is one thing that can be. That's usually a sign of a bad Royal Rumble, actually, to me. When you see poor directing, it's a very mm. difficult match to film because there are these different things going on. But if you are organised, then you should know where things have to be. And, and to link back to that organisation, this leads to the other side of the uh, double-edged sword with your surprise entrances. It's all well and good having them. I love them, personally. It's great. I mean, like the anticipation, especially when you get to like the late 20s as well. Um, but people are trying to guess them too much now. Yeah. I mean, I know we live in the world of internet journalism. I mean, for God's sakes, we're doing a podcast about wrestling. Um, journalism. <laughs> <laughs> well, I'm a qualified... Well, I've got a degree. So, <laughs> <laughs> so have I, but it's just, you know... <laughs> I've got a degree in thugonomics. What have you got? <laughs> You're the least thugonomic person I know, Lord. How dare um, you, sir? <laughs> As we say on the streets... <laughs> yeah, you kind of cut the rug off from yourself not there. Not a hip hop rapper yet called Rap Scallion. I mean, See, come on. The f- the fact that you thought about that sort of yeah. wobbles your street cred a little bit. But uh, you know, it's it's like it's like when kids go looking for their Christmas presents. You're killing the magic. Right. Just just. I know everyone wants to get like the most views and likes on their pages, and as a result, they want to try and find out who's debuting at the Rumble. And now you've obviously got bookmakers, and the wild fluctuation on their prices often gives like an indicator to um, who's going to turn up. But 
just just for, just for this one one thing just 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 let it let it be just just don't try and guess the surprise okay so you've gone for the surprise entrances here's what i what's a good sign for a rumble and what's a bad sign for a rumble and they're variants of the same thing it's how they present what whoever is chosen in nearly every royal rumble now to be like the iron man of that match when, well, you too have a double-edged sword. Yes, because it is like you know the most fam- the first example of that really. That well, there was Rick Martel in 1991 and, and Ted DiBiase in 1990. Like it gradually increased from Rumble to Rumble. It was like Brett was really impressive in '88, but he was only in there for like half an hour. Then Miss Perfect was in there for about half an hour in '89. Then Ted DiBiase did about 45 minutes in '90, and then it was Ric Flair. And, and they'd had that stat of like. Gorilla Monsoon was taunting Bobby Heenan with like no one who drew numbers one to five has been there till the end, and that was something that was really emphasised in the first few years: the importance of the luck of the draw, and that if you didn't get twenty to thirty, it was highly unlikely that you're going to win it. I don't have the stats to hand, but it feels like almost as many Rumble winners now come from one to ten as they do from like twenty to thirty. Maybe it's not quite as much. But too many of them are. I remember, like, you know, like, if you look at 2005 or, like, when Rey Mysterio won it after going uh, an hour an hour and two minutes or there something like that. There was it a was point. him and Triple H. There was one Royal Rumble where, like, Triple H, Randy Orton, Cody Rhodes, Batista, and, and, like, several people came in very early on, and they were there all the way through to the end. And I think that the Royal Rumble needs to go back to that emphasis on the luck of the draw and that the Iron Man should be... A really big story. But there was like one Royal Rumble where I think Chris Jericho and Dolph Ziggler went from one and two to the end. But then they were eliminated with like three or four people left. And it was never made mention again after that. It needs to lead to something or it needs to say something. Or it needs to be a surprise like when Bob Backlund went really long in, in 93. If they're just going long for the sake of going long then very often that's a sign that there's not actually been that many interesting different stages of the story in the Rumble itself. If you know what mm. I mean. No, no, I agree with your point. I think I think the reason they've ended up in the situation you describe is because they've sort of made a rod for their own back in a way by um, the fact. I think there was a statistic. I think they made a rod for a back in their in their own way. I think there was a statistic. Um, I think it was very accurate a couple of years ago, and it, there's only slight fluctuations since. Uh, there was just as many winners from the number one position at one point as there were from the number thirty position. So. The problem with that I... is they can't ever mention that one of those two is Chris Benoit. They always say two people have done it, one of whom is Shawn Michaels. You just feel mm. like I just would love it if, like, say Byron Saxton just completely forgot and just said, "Oh, and who was the other one?" <laughs> <laughs> just watch Vince's face go crimson. Stevie Richards. Um, <laughs> but as a result, now whoever number one is, regardless of whether he's in the um, the shortlist in people's minds to be a winner. He's kind of got to go long because it's such a coveted position. I don't know it's like the magic the twenty-seven number in a way. But yeah, a lot of the time, if you're number one, I would be I, that would be another curious statistic. We should have really brought some of these up. Like, what is the average length of time that the number one is in the ring uh, compared to the average time of everyone else that's in the ring? And it is pro. I mean, there are exceptions like the twenty ten Royal Rumble. One and two, Dolph Ziggler and, and Evan Bourne were eliminated almost immediately after when when CM Punk came in. Uh, another guy that I guess he kind of got a diesel push because he was eliminating person after person um, in that one. So yeah, let's move on then now to Mount Rushmore. And 
what we want to talk about are what are our definitive Royal Rumble performances. Not the matches themselves, the performances. It'll be curious to see if we go for four Iron Man entries or if we try to liven it up a little bit. So, Simon, if you want to go first, what are your four definitive Royal Rumble performances? Okay, I'm going to do this from most recent to uh, furthest away, basically. So, most recent that sticks in my mind, it's the uh, Royal Rumble debut of AJ Styles uh, in 2016. Um, As I've already alluded to um, earlier in the show, I think it's a great, it was a great way to showcase his um, moveset, who he was um, as a performer, and the crowd helped him in a way. He liked him. His his the reaction he received. It just gave him that, gave him that launch pad um, with which someone as talented as AJ Styles took the ball. He, they gave him the ball and he's ran with it ever since. Basically. Okay. Um, the next one I'm going for is, uh, I think it's it, it's a classic one, um, sort of cheapened by the fact that he he wasn't. Uh, I don't think he was number one. He was number two, if memory serves me correctly. Uh, Rey Mysterio uh, in 2006. Just a great showcase. Um, a, of an Iron Man performance. And B, Rey, well, Rey Mysterio has always been great at this, but it's just a classic underdog performance uh, sort of played to perfection in a way that only Rey really can. Um, no one else quite plays the underdog quite like him. It's quite a beautiful, like, um, performance in a way. Especially, I especially love his little... Um, it's... Randy Orton, Triple H, Rob Van Dam, and him at the end, and just the moment he just looks at Rob and goes, "Right, we've got this." And it's just that alliance, that little like A throwback to ECW and B, just little men versus big men, always, sort of heavyweight yeah. versus cruiserweight kind of thing. I was always, I've always been a fan of that little, let's take a breath moment before the final four get down to business. It doesn't happen at every Rumble, but I really enjoy that spot because it is usually two faces, two heels. Let's get this, thing, mm. you know. Uh, in an aside, the, the best final two in that sense was the 40-man rumble where Santina Morella thought he'd won it, was <laughs> celebrating, and then just Del Rio just sprinted across the ring and just chucked him out like he was trash. <laughs> I miss Santino. So those are so, your first two? Good. First two. Um, next one, the the ultimate Ironman performance, uh, Chris Benoit, 2004. <laughs> <laughs> I feel with Mount Rushmore and on this show, we've got to separate the last 48 hours from Chris Benoit, the performer. Um, so I don't feel any contra- controversy okay. once you add, add that caveat by putting Chris Benoit in. Um, the ultimate Iron Man performance. Um, different to Ray, obviously. Both came in from the same similar positions. Uh, but rather than the underdog, it was just pure grit and like steely determination, sort of like a rugged brutality that you... You only got from Chris's in-ring style. Yeah, the the, the and, final spot where because like the story of that match where especially towards the end when it was how do you get rid of the Big Show and it was like five of them trying to get rid of the Big Show then one of them's eliminated then it's four of them trying to get rid of the Big Show and one of them's eliminated three, two and then it's just Chris Benoit and it's like well if he couldn't do it with five or four how is he going to do it on his own and his gradual slow rear naked it's the facial is very very well done that's very it's well the, booked. It's the facial expression as he's just hauling him over, the, like with everything. He is throwing everything into that, like that. That is just like heart and soul, like, just fighting, scratching and clawing, just powering your way through. Uh, and it was a great way of just just 
putting the rocket strappers on someone. It was like the diesel push, but it didn't like um, have. I mean, Diesel really just like came from nowhere, as you mentioned in that rumble, and just Benoit just. I think yeah, that's the epitome of the diesel push is Chris Benoit in 2004. Mm. Just going from mid-card to, I'm a badass mm-hmm. and I'm gunning for the gold. Um, and your final, final one? Uh, my final one is... Your um, nearly got eliminated there, but you skinned the cats. Ah, <laughs> <laughs> oh, see, now you just ruined my, my sweet, stylish flow. <laughs> um, my, my final... Um, My final um, pick for Mount Rushmore. My final pick for Mount Rushmore. I don't know how you're expecting me to edit all this out. It's going to stay <laughs> in, mate. Ah, <laughs> oh, see, now this is meta now. Um, anyway, my final pick for Mount Rushmore is Kane in 2001. Mm-hmm. Um, 2001 is such a wacky, weird Royal Rumble. It's it, it's like a very attitude era Royal Rumble. Just that, sort of like that niche. It had those comedy elements. It has those like... Um, those hardcore elements and it's it's just Kane as epitome big red machine it masked Kane and his prime just bodying people okay just, so just to reiterate that now what are your four Mount Rushmore candidates okay so to run it through quickly AJ Styles 2016 Rey Mysterio 2006 Chris Benoit 2004 and Kane in 2001 now obviously that shows um what generation I am <laughs> My Mount Rushmore, I think you'll I think you'll say. Um, very much look, looking forward to hearing yours. See if okay. we've got any overlap. So I'll do the opposite of you, and I'll go from oldest to newest. Ooh, arc at thee. I really want to be not contrarian or a smart ass, but I guess in a way it's contrarian and smart assy. I really was hoping that you would pick Ric Flair over Chris Benoit because I wanted to give a separate ha- uh, mention to. Bobby Heenan's performance during the 1992 Royal Rumble because he basically verbalised everything that Ric Flair was going through in that match and he was so entertaining and Gorilla Monsoon was so good at needling him throughout the match and I really, really wanted to give a special... Well, at the very least gets an honourable mention but because you haven't included him I think I will have to go with Ric Flair's performance at the 1992 Royal Rumble. It really was the best... If, if you were to do a Hall of Fame of all the great moments in Ric Flair's career as an in-ring wrestler, if you were to make like a top 10, I think this would be the only thing from the WWF period that would be in there. It might even be the number one choice. Probably so you were talking... Ricky Steamboat matches or, or, or Harley Race at Starcade or something okay. like that. So you're talking not if they just did like a Ric Flair WWE DVD, if they did like a Ric Flair if in total to do, If you DVD. were to do an article of the 10 greatest moments in Ric Flair's in-ring career, maybe you'd have 24, you know, I'm sorry I love you. Maybe at a stretch you'd have his feud with Randy Savage, but you would have to include the Royal. If you were to show a kid, this is why people think Ric Flair is p- possibly the greatest of all time. You show and you had to use a WWE. You had clip. to use a WWE clip. You'd show him that rumble. Okay. It was why he was the sixty-minute man, and because it was also him going through so many people from his past, and that he went with. And like the story of the match was everyone attacking Ric Flair when they came in, and him having those separate little moments with these historical opponents like Kerry Von Erich, like Roddy Piper, Hulk Hogan, and and all those other people from his past or his presence. So it was sort of like he's going through. 
So sort of like he's going through the seven circles of hell. Yeah, he's like he's having to, you know, pay penance for everyone that he crossed on his way <laughs> to the top. That's a great... I mean, someone should do that, actually, in a Royal Rumble, that, like, this person just keeps facing, like, their, their you know, their their executioner or something like that. You know, meeting the... It's like everyone you meet on the way down are the people that you met, you took over on the way up, or something like that. Um, so, Bobby Heenan, 1992... I'm going with Diesel, 1994. The Diesel pushed the definitive version of that. Picking that ahead of Stone Cold Steve Austin in 1997. Because he would have also been a, a great pick for that. Um, so I'm going Bobby Heenan, 92. D- Diesel, 94. I was really torn on which one of CM Punk's performances in 2010 when he's a straight-edge saviour. Or 2011 when he's the leader of the Nexus to go for. And so I went with neither of them. They cancelled each other out. <laughs> and I'm going to be a bit... I'm going to be a bit smart as here. I'm going to go with Santino Morella's one second appearance at the 2009 Royal Rumble. Because he did everything that was expected of him in that. He gave a great comedy moment, which is something the Royal Rumble always has. When it's a good Royal Rumble. He did his job perfectly because when Titus O'Neil was supposed to do the same thing a year or two later, he wasn't able to get himself in the ring and out of the ring within a split second. And it was just, and it was, you're going to remember it. And you think about everything that he had to do. I'm always amazed by wrestlers who do that, like go out, like he had to get to that arena. He had to wait for the day. He had to get changed. He had to prepare himself. He had to go through, you know, had to know what to do. And he had one job that he had to get absolutely right. And then he had to go to the next town. Mm. And he did it. And you're never going to forget that. Yeah, I mean... And the Royal you've Rumble got... is not just about the Iron Man performances, which is something that they sometimes forget when they're trying to make someone look like a big deal. And, you know, and then he got rewarded a year later by doing the great bit with Alberto Del Rio. That's uh, lovely. Yeah. So if you combine those two performances, there you've got... One of the greatest, uh, one of the. I, so I'm just. I am being a smart ass contrarian there, but I think I can justify it by saying, not all performances mm-hmm. are about being in there for an hour and doing all of the, you know, corner spots and, and 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 getting to be the glorious victor. He doesn't get to revel in his glory. Everyone laughs at him, and he looks like a joke. You know, he looks like yeah. a jobber, but that was his job. And that was Especially with the um, unibrow. Yeah, and exactly. I think he had the mullet at the time yeah, as well, like, which just made ready. it even funny. It wasn't ready. <laughs> it happened so quick, you almost couldn't believe it was that way. Um, and my final one, I'm actually going back in time because we are going to have a definitive one that we are sharing. And it is an Iron Man performance. And it is the Big Red Machine Kane in 2001. Because it's hard enough to do a performance like that when you're someone like Seth Rollins and a CrossFit uh god or, or Dolph Ziggler and you have the cardio of a centaur or whatever he, <laughs> Kane is like 6 foot 8, 6 foot 9 300 pounds all muscle at that time and he was able to do, to be the unstoppable monster, to be the comedy straight man, to be you know all the different jobs that he had to be throughout that rumble, he had perfect timing in the honky tonk segment of the Drew Carey segments, he worked well with all the hardcore guys he went toe to toe with the rock he teamed up perfectly with The Undertaker. And then when he had to face Austin, even though he'd been in the ring for 50, 55 minutes, he had to still be the unstoppable monster. And Austin was the underdog who'd been bloodied by Triple H. I mean, if we were to do... I mean, I know everyone always goes 92, 2004. They're the two greatest Royal Rumbles. I think you can make a case for 2001 being the greatest Royal Rumble of all time. And you have to give at least half 
probably more of the credit for that to Kane. And also, when we did the Kane episode, we never included that in our Mount Rushmore, which seems outrageous in hindsight. Yeah. So I think we're atoning for our sins in this instance. We look quite the fools. Yes. Although we didn't do that in April. So, <laughs> there we go. So let's just reiterate that one last time. I've gone for Ric Flair in 1992 with a special honorary mention to Bobby Heenan in 1992. Diesel in 1994 with a special honorary mention to... Uh, Austin in 97 and CM Punk in 2010 and 2011. Santino Morella in 2009. An honorary mention actually there also to Jerry Lawler who did a couple of great comedy spots in a similar one in 97. He started a a line off in commentary, went into the ring, got eliminated and then was able to finish that sentence going back into commentary. And of course it was something they repeated several times with JBL and Michael Cole in the future and Booker T. So, and then finally our definitive one, Kane in 2001. Now, one of the reasons that we do this podcast and we reiterate nearly every episode is we don't want it to be topical, but I'm going to leave aside five minutes to discuss, as of this recording in January of 2018, what was announced was something that I predicted to you would happen a few weeks ago, and I have audio to prove it somewhere, um, that... Look at his smug face. You can't see this, but this is horrible for me. Royal Rumbles, and there's going to be a female... 30 woman 30 I think is the key thing there Royal Rumble now so we're going to talk about so this will be in hindsight to the majority of you that listened to this from February 2018 onwards so we might look quite the fools with some of our not predictions but our discussions we're putting our necks on the line here I am all in favour of a woman's Royal Rumble I, I think that they need to keep working towards this I didn't. I forgot to mention this in our 2017 in review thing uh, when I was talking about the May Young Classic, I think that the goal in the WWE by the end of maybe this decade, maybe a couple of years after, I think they should have a roster split of no more than one third women, two thirds men. Maybe even eventually complete gender uh, parity as far as in ring performers go. Um, mm. So to do that, you know, they do deserve to have to be treated equally. That's why the the championship belts are presented as in that UFC form almost with the men and the women's belts. And so if they're going to have their own money in the bank, they should also have their own Royal Rumble as well. Yeah, yeah. The only issue I have is just the notion of two Royal Rumbles. It's the same in the same reason I'm not a huge fan of them having two or more Hell in the Cell matches in the Hell in the Cell pay per view, or them have you know it's like. And also because it's such a long match, even when it's short as short can be, it's at least half an hour. And that would be if literally everyone went in after one minute and they got eliminated immediately afterwards. Yeah. So it's basically like having two Iron Man matches in one show. And you couldn't do that. Well, I'm, I'm you look it's at... going to bookend it. The women will open it, then there'll be a couple of matches, and then the men will close it. And well, maybe... you look at it... Sorry, go on. Sorry, um, but you look at extreme examples of when they've tried similar types of matches um, all in a row on the same pay-per-view. TNA had lethal lockdown. It's all cage match pay-per-view. Mm. Horrible. But even um, those had variants within themselves. Some were escape the ring. Some were tables mm. matches in the cage. So it was almost True. like it was a UFC-esque uh, you know, cage mm. in that I know what you mean. To, I, I'm, to an I'm extent. as annoyed by hard justice as everyone else is. But yeah. It's slightly um, because those matches are still only 12, 15 minute wrestling matches. This is a 40 minute probably, maybe more. Mm. And two 40 plus minute matches will be really hard to get a crowd to 
stay interested and also to give so many variables to book it in an interesting manner and you've got to think they've sort of been through this before when they had their championship scrambles i mean the the pay-per-view where they had three different championship scrambles matches that that killed the gimmick the gimmick was never used after that point um even when there were two briefcases in money in the bank it gets difficult to go, especially if you're going on second. Exactly. Um, and usually, like, the SmackDown one would have a less stellar lineup and would feel less important anyway. Mm. Um, and, and again, those matches would be no more than 20, 25 minutes tops. Yeah. This is going to take up... These two matches will take up the bulk of the show unless they do another 15-hour special or whatever it is they do to keep to get their hours-watched figures on their network high enough that they can really show off to the investors. And just to hell with people actually enjoying the show as best as it can be. I think logically, if they have two rumbles, it's gonna it's gonna be a four hour yeah uh, kind of deal. And you can't put the genie back in the bottle now. Now that they've given women this Royal Rumble, I don't think you can take it away from them anymore. So that means going forward, every Royal Rumble is almost certainly going to have two thirty person Royal Rumbles. So this hmm. is this is the way of the future now going forward. So they've got to you know. I don't know if they've made a rub for their own back. It seems like what I might have argued is maybe you make this like a, a three-day festival almost. NXT show on the Saturday, on the Friday, Women's Royal Rumble on the Saturday, and Men's Royal Rumble on the Sunday. Because they do book those arenas. I don't know. Mm. I don't know. I'm just trying, you know. I think they, they wouldn't... Look, look, that's not something they're going to do now because they they I don't think they're confident enough to let women's a woman's royal rumble stand alone basically well, i think it would be like a, both cards would have men and women's matches in them it's just that the first day one would be main evented by the women's royal rumble and day two would be main evented by the men's royal rumble potentially you could have things like qualifiers and stuff then for the next night i suppose yeah. maybe maybe um i share your reservations um I'd like to also touch on another point at the moment. I mean, it's something you've alluded that they're trying to aim for, but at the moment, I don't think they have... Do they have the roster depth for 30? No. To an extent... I got got my suspicions that they were going to go with the 30-woman Royal Rumble when they debuted those six women on both shows, (laughs) and they couldn't even be bothered to come up with two storylines for them, so they just did the same storyline. Same storyline, twice. So I was like, why are they suddenly padding up this roster? And then I looked at the calendar and I thought mm. they're going to go for it. I thought it would be a 20-woman Royal Rumble. So it's obvious that this 30-woman Royal Rumble is going to have a lot of guest appearances. And that's fine. It'll be nice to see Beth Phoenix or Molly Holly or Trish Stratus or Lita or, you know, fuck it, maybe even Bull Nakano come out. Um, Alundra Blaze maybe at a push. Um, Medusa, that'd be, that'd be interesting. Um... Uh, yeah, they don't have thirty people. Um, I when we when we discussed this, um, you know, in one of our many previous off-air conversations, we don't just talk when we record it, believe it or not. Um, but one of the main problems you've got, and it's well, I really had reservations with, is like twenty women. I thought was going to be a push. Thirty women. I really don't see how they're going to do this unless you get like NXT loads of NXT one shots. But they've sort of preempted that as you've mentioned already um the women's division on nxt's took a battering recently with all these uh, names being moved up to the main roster yeah i mean uh, like i said I, I predicted that 
and it was also women that I don't know that are, are fully ready, like that Sarah Logan, is that her name? Yeah. They're, they're... And, and it was interesting that they, but they've kept the Ember Moons and the Peyton Royces and the Nikki Crosses, who are frankly better performers in, in my opinion than I... most of those. Would... Maybe Ruby Riot's up there with them, but I, I would put i would say nikki cross is going to be a much more useful addition to the roster at this moment than Liv morgan would be or sarah logan would be or um the shana baszler was that her name the, the shana baszler, yeah, shana baszler and um kari sane as well yeah uh oh no sorry whoever's the one with the boxing shorts right now that's in um absolution with Paige and mandy rhodes bloody hell they've changed she has she's had two different names so that's oh, why i okay. can't remember in nxt she had a different name to the name she's yeah. got now that's why it just eludes me yeah and it's just i don't know i, I look I, I hope i'm wrong i want these people to be great i want there to be uh lots of women that are good and that allow depth in storylines and roster and, and more available options they don't just have to cycle through the same people every single time okay. so look we'll leave it up up in the open air i don't think that 2018's royal rumble women's royal rumble will be the best version of this royal rumble mm. but it's not gonna they, like i said they can't put the genie back in this is what we've got going forward and hopefully with more time and more roster depth they can improve yeah so you know until then I guess if we had we're, to sum our feelings up, um, we're going to be uh, cautiously, cautiously optimistic. optimistic. Yeah. Jinx, buy me a Coke. Ah, <laughs> sod. <laughs> <laughs> okay, then. With that cautious optimism, Simon, if people want to get in touch with you, how can they do so, and what should they do? Well, they can always get in touch with me on Twitter, where I'm known as Simon Cross Free. Um, so known because... I am actually wearing free items of clothing right now. Mm. Uh, I'm not going to tell you all which, just um, that, that, you know, I'm just going to leave that uh, visual picture right in your minds, listeners. Um, you can also find me on Facebook and um, in and around the streets of the Leicestershire County. Mm-hmm. Um, and pretty much, you know, if you see me, talk wrestling. I'm up for it. Okay. Thank you very much, Simon. My name's Lorcan Mullen. That's L-O-R-C-A-N-M-U-L-L-A for Apple, N for Norman. If you put an at at the start of there, that's my Twitter handle. And if you put an at at the end, getting rid of the at at the start, and put in gmail.com, that's my email address. If you want to read about my life as a professional wrestling <laughs> fan, then go on Amazon with an ebook reader and get Confessions of a Smart Wrestling Fan on ebook, or wait a few weeks or months, and there will hopefully be a fifth anniversary version of it with some additional notes with modern con with 2018 observations from from this version of uh, Lorcan Mullen looking back at the younger even slightly less cynical version of him himself. and if you want to see me live performing the show that inspired the book that inspired this partnership of ours in comedy commentary about wrestling then go and see my original Edinburgh Fringe comedy show Confessions of a Smart Wrestling Fan, now with additional interactive quiz, so you may enter a comedy show, pay money at the door, and leave in profits. That's how unique an opportunity this is. That will be on at the Bill Murray Pub in London. Go to angelcomedy.co.uk to get yourself a £5 ticket on Monday, the 29th of January, the day after the 2018 Royal Rumble. Just a quick question. Is the Bill Murray pub, is that Caddyshack themed? 
Or I don't Buster's know. Wife. I've never been there before. Well, technically, there's rules about pubs that it can't actually be named after someone born in the certain like hundred years or so. So it's actually named after like a, a lord from England in the ninth in the eighteenth century or something like that. But we all know what it's really in reference to. Well, I don't know. They had Ghostbusters back then. That, that's quite yeah. surprising. Yeah. Well, you know, they had ghosts back then. One would assume. Why is it? Yeah, that ghosts always seem to be from like the nineteenth century at the late, uh, the earliest. Why are there no ghost cavemen? Hmm. Yeah. It's like ghosts of an expiry date or something. Yeah. Maybe, maybe ghosts are like milk. Once they go off, you've just got a bin them. Yeah, possibly. But anyway, when we start up a podcast asking about ghosts, we'll look into that further. But until then, tune in. In two weeks' time, we'll be doing another follow-up episode. And we'll let you know on our Facebook page ahead of time. So just look up... Uh, let me tell you something on Facebook and like our Facebook page and we'll give you updates of what the next episode will be about. Or but hook us up on SoundCloud or iTunes, yes, of course. Yes, SoundCloud, iTunes, or what have you. SoundCloud.com slash Lorcan-Mullen. Uh, again, M-U-L-L-A for Apple N. But until then, my name is Lorcan Mullen. My name's Simon Cross. Thank you for letting us tell you something. Have a great time. Until the next time, farewell, Grapple fans. No, I'm not going to